Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Creedal Catholic. Creedal Catholic is a Catholic theology and apologetics podcast that is faithful to the magisterium and dedicated to the mission of the new evangelization. We're a part of the Vernacular Podcast Network, and if you'd like to support us or find out more about the other shows on our network, head to patreon.com slash vpn or vernacularpodcast.com. Patreon.com slash vpn or vernacularpodcast.com. Enjoy the show. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Creedal Catholic. Across the table from me is, as always, my co-host, Kevin Boschman, who's dying with laughs right now. We had to hit the record <laughs> button several times before we could get this right. But uh, uh, Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Great to be down in beautiful Colorado Springs. A little uh, snow on the ground. I always love it when you visit. I know it's a little bit of a drive for you, but it's always nice to have you here and we can do this in person. And I also know that you've got to head out before too long because your hardest work of the day is cut out for you as you are chairing a parish committee. Right. So planning an outdoor expedition for the parish. The planning continues. Well, uh, I thought we could talk about a few things today, Kevin, but before we do that, I want to ask you how your discernment towards Dominican formation is coming. My discernment towards Dominican formation. Yeah. Oh man, that's a good question. Uh, I, I guess the, the best answer is, I'm not discerning Dominican vocations right now. I mean, other than, I mean, lay Dominican vocation. Sure. But, um, so you're saying there's a chance. You're saying there's a chance. Uh, I, no, I just I, think that Kevin Boschman OP sounds so good. Well, but of it, course it wouldn't be Kevin Boschman. It would be, I don't know, something else. What, oh, what man. would be your, what I don't your name? really, I don't speculate on what my <laughs> Dominic Maria Boschman. I mean, that sounds pretty, that's good. pretty strong. Dominic that Maria Boschman OP. No. <laughs> claiming claiming Dominic as a Dominican though is pretty whew. it's happened before yeah. you see it it does happen it is I wonder if it's it's not quite on the level of being you know Pope Peter the second no one's true no one's tried that out yet yeah, no, that would be that would be such a bold <laughs> a bold move I choose Peter the second <laughs> the second <laughs> okay so I I'm holding out hope for John Chrysostom Boschman OP oh that's strong so you know, we should talk about this actually, because I, uh, you know, we've, we've joked about it. Uh, well, you've joked about it. I have a fair amount of time. Um, but you know, discernment is definitely a very, um, important part of our lives and something that we should be doing daily. It, I mean, honestly, so in the past I have, uh, discerned with the Dominicans and I have a very close connection to the order. If, if you haven't met, uh, Dominicans, you know, seek them out. They, they're, they're, they're around, a lot of different places. You can Google which parishes they run. Seek them out, especially imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have some interest in the intellectual life of the church and they are really a great and, and holy order that preaches uh, f- for the salvation of souls. And I just have a very particular connection to the order because of my time in graduate school and a lot of my experience with them and how it really strengthened my faith. But, you know, uh, Discernment is definitely an active part of our lives, right? And just because you're not discerning a religious vocation at any point in time, if you if you haven't determined exactly what your vocation should be, um, you you have to be active towards trying to seek it out, right? And if that means going to the seminary or speaking with a vocations director, that's definitely one way to do it. If the other way is, uh, you know, going out on dates and seeing if you have a vocation to the married life, that's important too. Um, and I think really the only way you can do discernment wrong is by not doing it at all or by saying that you are, you hear people say, um, I was listening to a podcast lately. Actually, that's a really good one. God, you know, God's Planning is a, is a podcast from the uh, Order of Preachers of the Province of St. Joseph. 
and they did one on discernment re- recently and they um, kind of pointed out that a lot of people talk about how they're entering a phase of discernment <laughs> as though they weren't discerning previously. And, um, you know, if you're not listening, if you're not actively out trying to, to figure out what your vocation is, then that's really the only way you can do it wrong. But, but no, I'm not actively pursuing religious life at this point in time. And, you know, even that's kind of a wrong and incorrect way to put it. I do not at this point in time get the impression um, when I'm in prayer and when I'm trying to discern my way ahead, I don't get the particular call impression that exactly. Cause it is a vocation. It's, it's a pull, right? You know, it's not a push. It's a pull towards it. So, and if, if at some point in my, in the next months or years or decades, whatever it is, if, um, if that call does arise, then, um, I pray that I have the strength to answer it. So you're saying, there's a chance. <laughs> Excellent. Glad to hear it. Well, Kevin, I thought today we could talk about devotions in the Catholic life. So this episode is going to be a little bit of a how-to Catholic episode, and it might have some information that our listeners don't already have, or maybe some practices they already do observe. And we just want to call attention to some ways that lay people like us and religious alike, but really these are targeted especially towards lay people, mm-hmm. can incorporate the teaching of the church and a devotion to Christ into their daily lives. Yeah. Before we do that, I was thinking maybe we could talk about some new music for the podcast. Some mm. some new theme music perhaps. Okay. Close on Sunday. You my Chick-fil-A. Close on Sunday. You my Chick-fil-A. So what do you think, Kevin? Good? Yes or no for the podcast theme song? <laughs> For the podcast theme song, um, it's kind of on the margins, <laughs> but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that sounds like the voice of Kanye West. It is. This is incredible. I wanted to talk about this just a little bit because this is a very popular figure figure mm-hmm. in popular culture, and he is now making, I guess, exclusively Christian music. His, his new album mm-hmm. just released yesterday, and the album is called... Jesus is King. Beautiful title. And every single, Christus Rex, every single album or every single song on this album is about the faith in some Mm -hmm. way. And this is on the heels of Kim, his wife, Kim Kardashian West, and their two children. I I believe so, yeah. I don't keep up with the Kardashians, but I think (laughs) it's two. Uh, Just were uh, baptized in the Armenian Apostolic Church, which is a, a church in Oriental Orthodoxy, which is not the same thing as... Eastern Orthodoxy, Oriental Orthodoxy is actually a little bit older. There's like a cousin of Orthodoxy, and in, mm-hmm. in, in that then they way. they split from uh, from communion with with the early church with Rome around 300. Yeah, was in it? the fourth century, I think. Fourth century yeah. AD. Yeah. So um, they recognize fewer councils, um, but they are kind of cousins of the Catholic and Orthodox. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's it's pretty amazing. It seems like uh, right. the uh, the first family of pop culture has maybe had a conversion of sorts. And I think, you know, I think this is, this is worth talking about just a little bit because one, Jesus can reach anybody wherever they are. Mm-hmm. And two, there are some who online are criticizing this as just a you know PR move or whatever, but I don't think there's any reason for us to doubt that Christ can transform the lives of anybody, no matter their station in life or their background. And I think there's no reason why Catholics shouldn't look at the story of um, Kim and Kanye so far as, as, no, it's, you know, nothing less than really amazing. I mean, I never thought I would hear a Kanye album, which he's saying Jesus is King. Right. I mean, I mean, charity compels us to ascribe the best of intentions to this. Right. Totally agree. Uh, and it's not, 
I don't think it's as crazy as, as it might seem at first because the Kardashians are ethnically Armenian. Right. And the Armenian church, so when I was a university student, I had the great opportunity to go to Armenia. And the Armenian Apostolic Church has a great cultural influence on the people there. Uh, it's still so fundamental to their way of life and, and how they kind of form their identity that it makes sense, you know, especially as people typically get older and, and begin to focus more on more than just a material, or you hope they do, they start not necessarily see the end of their life on the horizon, but I think it comes with maturity and and thinking more towards the future. And it it makes sense in a lot of ways. And I think we should be above all very happy. And uh, we were kind of talking about this earlier, but there's a lot of potential in this for Kanye West to reach uh, a kind of a part of society that might not be reached by more um, call it traditional evangelistic efforts within oh, 100%. the church, right? Yeah, I mean, I think many of many of the people who listen to Kanye West music are not uh, faithful mass attending Catholics mm-hmm. or even professing Christians, you know, right. let alone mass attending Catholics. So this is a huge opportunity for the gospel to reach people. And I think you're right that charity impels us to attribute nothing but the best here. And really just to thank God that he is speaking through Kanye West in this way and, and has drawn the West family closer to himself through baptism, which is Absolutely. an amazing and incredible thing. And so I just, I think it's remarkable. And, and your point about kind of growing up and realizing that there's more to life than the material. Um, I, you know, I didn't play more of the closed on Sunday song, which is, I mean, just lyrically hilarious. <laughs> I chuckle every time I say yeah, it. And it, it uh, sticks in your it's head. It's not my, it's not, it's not, when we talk about devotions here, it's not the, the, the music that I personally will be taking to my time of adoration. But, you know, I, if it's your thing, then, then go for it. But in that, in that song, he talks about raising daughters and raising sons. Yeah. And so I think he is in this phase of life where he's realizing. Avoiding temptation. Exactly. He talks about. Yeah. You know. Watching out for vipers. Yeah. Uh, there's another song on this album that talks about uh, doing what Adam do, I think. Right. It's like he's, he's rhyming with attitude and latitude right. and doing what Adam do and putting the fruit back on the tree. So there are, um, there are lots of nods to traditional Christian theology in these. I, I want to play one more. I mean, this this album is explicitly Christian. All right, so you heard there, searching for a deity, right. talking with his dad, and his dad says it's not Christ-like. I mean, these are... These are um, deep themes for Kanye yeah. West music. And, and it still sounds like, I mean, I'm not, I don't have great exposure to his music, sure. but the exposure that I do have, this music sounds like the music, sonically, it right. sounds like the music that he has previously put out. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's a, it's a, um, it's a tonal shift as far as lyrics and message, but not a tonal shift as far as the, like you said, the sonics right. of it. So, which yeah. is probably a good thing because the, that his music has draw and especially it's, it's tuneful. Yeah, exactly. So. So it's pretty Great cool. I, I just want to talk about that Absolutely. a little bit uh, because I think it's pretty interesting. But now we can we can talk about the main subject of today, and we'll do it pretty quickly because we're going to get Kevin out the door here so he can go lead his parish meeting. But the first one I want to talk about is traditional monthly devotions. Mm-hmm. This is something that Sally, my wife, actually taught me about because I didn't realize this was a and thing. And you and Sally taught me about. That's true, so. yeah. <laughs> um, let's just be real. Sally taught you as well. <laughs> um, so each month in the calendar year, 
has a particular devotion that the church has attached to it. Mm-hmm. And I'll just go through these one at a time. January is the holy name of Jesus. February is the Holy Family. March is St. Joseph. April is the Holy Eucharist. May is the Blessed Virgin Mary. June is the Sacred Heart of Jesus. July is the Precious Blood of Jesus. August is the Immaculate Heart of Mary. September is the Seven Sorrows of Mary. October is the Holy Rosary. November is the Holy Souls in Purgatory. And December is the Immaculate Conception. So um, the reason that the church has these is, I think, to call our attention and our devotion to particular aspects of church teaching that are important for us to remember. Um, and some of them correspond to calendar dates in the church year. So for example, March is St. Joseph. That's uh, the the uh, month of St. Joseph's feast on March 19th. February, the Holy Family. This is, I mean, often February is the beginning of Lent uh, with Ash Wednesday, but also I think January into February is the period of time where in the church year, we call to mind Jesus growing up with Mary and Joseph, his his mother and foster father. And so we have, you know, the, the young Jesus growing up with Mary and Joseph to think about. Um, so things like that, April, the Holy Eucharist. Well, April is also the month in which Easter, I think, most commonly falls. It's either mm-hmm. end of March or sort of mid-April. Um, and obviously the Eucharist is the, re- the representation of the Paschal sacrifice uh, embodied in the death and resurrection of Christ. So some of these things do line up um, with the church, the, the liturgical calendar in that sense. But at the very least, there's a certain aspect of church teaching that we can think about every month. And it's a really powerful way, I think, to focus your devotion in each month and to make sure that you cover all the good stuff in the course of a calendar year. Absolutely. So now we're in October, right? Yep. So coming rapidly coming to a close, but uh, devotion this month to the Holy Rosary. Uh, absolutely beautiful, wonderful. If you're looking for... Um, a good talk on the Holy Rosary. We've already, I've already mentioned God's planning once in this podcast, but um, revealing my affinity for it. I'll mention it again. The uh, Dominican and what, Friars. Yeah, I was going to say, what religious order does God's planning get? Uh, that'd be the Order of Preachers, St. <laughs> Dominic's Order. <laughs> <laughs> so in earlier this month, I think two weeks ago, uh, Father Patrick, Mary Briscoe, and Father Jacob Bertrand Janich uh, had a talk where they had a conversation about the Holy Rosary and it's absolutely wonderful traces through the history. Uh, some of the, I mean, call it myth, call it history. It, it depends. They, they, they deal with it very well in kind of the blending of myth and history about uh, the Holy mother giving the rosary to St. Dominic and how uh, the chaplet of the rosary and all of that kind of emerged uh, through the Dominican order and the devotion there. And it's absolutely beautiful and it's not too long and they're entertaining. And, and if you're looking for more information, more than I think what you typically get from um, just a quick read or meditations, they, they talk about um, good aspects of the meditations, some different ways to pray the rosary, a lot of great content in there. You know, one thing that's helped me with a daily rosary devotion is having a rosary that feels good in my hand. Mm. And I mean, it sounds kind of silly, but I just, i like when I'm praying through the rosary, I like holding something that, you know, it feels like satisfying to move along the beads. Well, and it is, it's one of those things that we as humans, it's our kind of our material nature, yeah, something, tactile. having something to touch. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I really like rugged rosaries. They're a little bit expensive. So this is, um, this is an investment, but I think it is an investment for the future. I mean, uh, I've spent a lot of time with my rugged rosary and uh, it'll last you for forever because it's, it's rugged. So I highly recommend Rugged Rosary uh, as a place to check out uh, good rosaries. They haven't paid us for this advertisement. Right. It's actually made 
they're usually made out of what like, paracord, you know, paracord yeah so right? it's it's the really i mean it's the stuff that uh that attaches uh parachutes to canopies the, to, to the, the rigs pack, yeah. yeah so um yeah so they're they're rugged you could probably tow a car with them you know Maybe, maybe don't try that, but yeah. <laughs> probably could. Um, but, it, but it's really cool. I like the rugged rosary. I also like those pocket rosaries. Have you seen those, Kevin, the little metal circles with crosses on them? They can just fit in your pocket really easily. I don't think I, I actually have, actually. have one here. Hold on. No, I don't think I've seen them, but, um, oh, like okay. this. no, yeah. I have not. Seen so it's that. a, uh, it's a circle of metal with a cross on one side and then 10 little beads around the outside of the circle. And so that's another one here. I'll mm. just hand it to you. Oh, nice. So that, that feels kind of nice when you're just sort of palming that and sure. you, you are sliding your thumb along the oh, like circles. That. So that's really nice because you can, you know, stick it in your pocket. A rugged rosary is pretty big, but you can stick this yeah, in your pocket anywhere. Like the rugged rosary looks like it would take up maybe two pockets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's the kind of thing you clip on your belt lip with a carabiner and you yeah, walk exactly. around like a Dominican, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well the rosary is a great one. So I like that suggestion, Kevin. Yeah. I was also going to mention bowing at the name of Jesus in mass. Mm. This is something that's probably a lot more familiar to older Catholics who have been going to mass since the 1940s and 50s, mm -hmm. but people don't really do it very often anymore. I think if you were to, um, if you were to look around your parish at the traditional times to bow, you'd probably see a few heads going up and down, but I don't think you'd see mm -hmm. anywhere close to the majority of the population or even a, a significant plurality. So um, people don't realize this, but actually the general instructions uh, for the Roman Missal, G-I-R-M, sometimes it'll be referred to as germ. The germ actually says that a bow of the head is made when the three divine persons are named together. So in other words, whenever the priest says in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right. then you bow. And at the names of Jesus, of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and this is kind of cool, of the saint in whose honor mass is being celebrated. Oh, okay. So if you're at a mass, you know, for... Uh, St. John Chrysostom, for example. Right, and, or it's August 8th and it's St. Dominic's Memorial. Right, exactly. Perfect. Great example. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, for you know, St. Lucy's Day, if you're at a um, at, at a mass in which Eucharistic Prayer 1 is being said and St. Lucy uh, is referenced there, then you do a little head bow um, in honor of St. Lucy. So um, let's talk about this just for a little bit. This is one scriptural. This is based on the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians, verses 9 and 10. God greatly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Mm. So it's a, it's a reminder to us of who our king is, just like Kanye West says, Jesus is king, right? Right. And so every time Jesus' name is mentioned or the names of the Trinity uh, altogether, then we bow. And then uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, as of course the greatest of saints and queen of all saints and the saint in whose honor mass is being celebrated, uh, because Mass is being celebrated in their honor, and we want to acknowledge uh, their service of God and their example as a servant of him. Mm -hmm. So I encourage you to to try bowing in Mass as well. I think it's it's a good practice, and it helps you be a little bit more engaged because your your mind is is listening for the name of Jesus. And I think it's especially a really good practice for kids. Yeah. My, my kids like doing this, and so we practice together. You know, when you hear the name of Jesus, bow. Um and I should say, I should say they sort of selectively like doing it. I mean, I think <laughs> all, all young kids are probably selective in, in what devotional practices they appreciate. But, but I think these, these types of practices are really good for kids because they're, they're sensory, they're tactile, they're uh, kinesthetic. So they can sort of learn and live out the, the faith in very concrete and really simple ways. Yeah. When I was living uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston, uh, I, I went to, to mass at a parish 
uh, there in Cambridge Square called St. Paul. And one of the vicars, I think it was a parochial vicar, he was either pro- the parochial vicar and or uh, the chaplain for the undergraduate students. He gave uh, a homily once and and then it became very obvious that he did this. I didn't really notice it at first, but he talked about how he actually would nod. So his head, bow his head uh, in any setting where the holy name of Jesus was, oh, wow, yeah. was proclaimed. And it was very impactful when you started to notice that he was doing this, even in casual conversation, because it was just such a, a beautiful and simple reminder that the name that you are speaking is not a, a common a normal name. name. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, you can, I'm not saying everyone should take it quite to that extreme. Maybe you start uh, with, with being in church and, and bowing at the name in church. And if you feel compelled to, to take that beyond out into the streets, then I think that's a great, I actually like that idea. A yeah, lot. it is. Isn't it? That's cool. Maybe I'll start doing that. There you go. It would probably alarm some people. <laughs> it might, but uh, strangers in a strange land. This is a, this is a side note, but it really bothers me. And I, I haven't, um, I haven't gotten to the point of addressing work colleagues or strangers about this. And maybe I should, but when people take the Lord's name in vain, especially, especially the name of Jesus, <laughs> it's very offensive. I mean, I, uh, I don't get offended at salty language easily, but that's the one that just sort of cuts me every time I hear it. Right. And it's interesting. I find it interesting how, uh, vulgarity and speech has become pretty commonly, ex- uh, commonly expressed even in the workplace now, yeah. even a professional workplace. And, yeah. But then every once in a while, someone will express that they, that makes them uncomfortable and it's completely valid that that makes them uncomfortable. But if you were to ever suggest to all of the people who, um, you know, yell out, whatever, you know, use the name of, of God or, or Jesus in vain. If you were to suggest in any way that that was offensive, then you'd probably be Lack considered a room. prude or yeah. <laughs> like yeah, why, I think you're right. but, um, but yeah, that is interesting. There, there's one person I work with in particular sad, who more than interesting, but yeah, that's probably true. Uh, there's one person in particular I work with who does this routinely and I'm thinking mm-hmm. about how to address it, address it with them because, uh, it's not that I'm afraid of being perceived as a prude. I mean, people, Honestly, when people know that I go to mass daily and things like that, right. they already <laughs> realize that. I think it's it's about how to how to preserve a how to pre- preserve a witness and not come across as judgmental towards Yeah, him, that's a good point. Know? So that it's a it's a tough balancing act. If any listeners have advice, I'd love to hear it. But um, okay, so we talked about then bowing at the name of Jesus. I also wanted to talk about genuflecting, which mm. is uh, also bowing, but genuflecting is more than simple, simply a bow of the head in the liturgy when the name of Jesus is mentioned, but rather is a, uh, a kneeling on your right knee, um, and then, uh, crossing yourself, uh, when you are in front of the tabernacle. Right. And so normally this is when you enter a church or just as when you're uh, about to sit down in the pew, this is much more common, I think, than bowing at the name of Jesus in mm-hmm. the mass. Um, so you'll see a lot more people do this. But I think this is another good practice to recover and another one that is great for teaching kids. So we've tried to teach our, our girls this as well, and they enjoy doing it, again, sort of selectively. But they do enjoy doing it for the most part, I think, and it's a good way to teach them we're bowing. And this goes all the way back to um, to the uh, at least the Middle Ages, bowing to a king, right? A, mm-hmm. Bowing to a king is uh, a symbol of showing fealty and allegiance and deference um, and a will- willingness to follow. Um, however, this is kind of interesting. And I only recently learned this bowing to the bowing on the left or genuflecting on the left. Yeah, I was just about to bring this up. Yeah. yeah. You know this? Okay. So I'll, I'll let you explain it then. Well, it's, it's so in a lot of pictures, I 
think I, I got to validate this, but I'm at least going to run with it. But typically when you would do it to an earthly authority, yep. if you would kneel or if you were say in medieval times, you're about to be knighted, uh, given a knighthood, then you would um, kind of genuflect down, but on your left knee because your right knee is reserved for, for God. God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, so I like that a lot, that little twist on it. So make sure you do it on the right knee. Right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think the, uh, the act of bowing is important. And if you forget which knee it is, that's not a big deal. It's not a problem. But I do think it's an interesting historical fact that, you know, when being knighted or when meeting a royal member of the court for the first time, you would genuflect but on your left knee because right. the right knee specifically is, is reserved for God. And so there is this understanding in antiquity already of the difference between earthly and heavenly authority. And you can give allegiance to earthly authority, but that does not surrender uh, or replace or uh, or be, you know, it, it is not super elevated over your allegiance to God. Right. And of course, the reason for genuflecting in these scenarios is a recognition of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And so that actually, this is one, I, I'm, I'm working to incorporate this in my life a little bit, but a couple of my friends uh, I've seen them do this is whenever we're in a car and you drive past a Catholic parish, they'll actually make the sign of the cross as an right. acknowledgement yep. that uh, Christ is physically present in, in that sanctuary in the tabernacle. And I think that's a great reminder as you're going through your daily life, even as you're just navigating the streets of whatever town you live in or city, a reminder that Christ is present in the world with us through the Eucharist. Yeah. And I think uh, another way to do that for kids to sort of adopt that is whenever we go by a church, we say hi to Jesus in the church. Uh, <laughs> and it's sort of then a reminder to our children that Jesus yeah. is really, truly present in there. So whenever we go by a Catholic church, we say hi, Jesus, and we do a little wave. So that's pretty cool. All right, what other devotions do we have, Kevin? So this is one of my favorites, actually. It's the Liturgy of the Hours. So this is the prayer of the church. And uh, for individuals in, in the consecrated religious life, uh, especially you know priests and a lot of your contemplative religious, they are bound by vows to pray the entire liturgy right. every single day, um, which is not quite as imposing as it, it seems, but it is you know five times a day. So actually interesting how um, that aligns with some of our fellow Abrahamic religions um, like Islam. Mm -hmm. uh, but the prayer is uh, an incorporation of uh, divine scripture, so the different hours of the day have different readings, hymns, psalms, all bringing us uh, to a fullness of our understanding of divine scripture and living it throughout the day. And this, uh, the Liturgy of the Hours is one of my favorites, especially when I go through periods where I'm having trouble um, kind of doing very personal or contemplative prayer, whether I'm just distracted or I'm having uh, some sort of personal difficulty where I, you know, sometimes it's hard to think of exactly what what to say or, or what to ask or what to bring uh, before the Lord in prayer. And the beauty of the liturgy is it provides you with a framework. You always have something. It might not be as personal uh, and the personal prayer is a very important part of prayer and you want to have that. But this liturgical prayer is a great way to uh, maintain your prayer life, even in those times where maybe personal prayer is a little bit difficult. And it's also a great way to get more involved with your your readings and your scriptures on a daily basis. And I think, Zag, you pointed out, as we were talking about this earlier, that a great place to start, you don't want to just take 
go out and buy the breviary and commit and to divine five, a day, five yeah. every single day. <laughs> um, but if you're going to start somewhere, night prayer is a really great place to start. And uh, maybe wh- why, why did you say that? Yeah. Well, I said that because, well, one, it is a, just a starting place. So mm-hmm. before committing to the whole thing, but two, it's also the shortest night prayer is the yep. shortest. And three, I find that nighttime it's designed to be said right before one goes to bed. Right. And I find that it's a, it's a beautiful time and a great opportunity to reflect on everything that's happened today, to do a brief examination of conscience and to just recommit and recenter your life on Christ before you go to bed. And at the end of the, the, uh, the compl or night prayer or compline um, is a is always a beautiful prayer commending yourself to God and asking mm-hmm. God for a restful night and a peaceful death and that's such a beautiful notion and it is isn't it yeah <laughs> and it's it's so antithetical to all of the things that force us to be anxious every day and lead us into temptation every day uh, rather night prayer is just a great opportunity I think to just recenter. And so Sally and I do this together every night. And I would encourage every one of our listeners to start doing night prayer every night before they go to bed. But I think especially if you're if you're a married listener, then I would encourage doing it with your spouse because it's a great time for you to reflect together on the day and recenter before going to bed. Yeah, and it's the, the beautiful thing that I find about the liturgy of the hours is it's designed very deliberately where you're if you if you're praying morning prayer, the hymns, the canticle, it's all about daybreak. It's about God coming to us in the morning, about awakening a sense of devotion in our souls. And as you move throughout the day, each of of the prayers, all of the psalms, align with the time of day and remind you of where your focus should be at that point in the day. And just as you mentioned, as you end the day with night prayer, it's about rest. It's about uh, asking it's, it's reflection on the day that you had. Did you live it the way uh, that you you need to live it, or or the way that God asks you to live it? And then always asking again for for rest, for forgiveness, and uh, for a, a, a fresh start the next day. And the other thing I like about night prayer is that it actually, I mean, not to sound morbid, but it is a little bit morbid. It, it helps you focus on death. Right. And as you mentioned, there are always hymns that go along with each of these hours that corresponds to that time of day and what you should be thinking about. And for night prayer, the the hymns change regularly, but one of them that has stuck in my mind has a line that says, may I fear the grave as little as my bed. Mm. And think about that because most of us adults look forward to bed at night, right? We are tired at the end of the day and think, I just can't wait to lay my head down on the pillow and go to sleep. And um, night prayer, and this hymn specifically, but night prayer in general and the attitude that it, that it cultivates in you is one of, let me not just not fear death, but in a way, look forward to it as the eternal rest that will allow me to be united to our Lord. And more of us should live with that sort of reckless abandon Absolutely. towards God and this total lack of fear towards death. Um, and so I really like night prayer for for that reason and all the other ones that I listed. Yep. And then just one, my one last comment on the Liturgy of the Hours one of my favorite parts about it has been that the Office of Readings, uh, which is um, traditionally done at 2 a.m. I do not do that at 2 a.m. though, <laughs> but uh, it can be done at any time. It can be done at any time. Uh, but the Office of Readings is really beautiful because when you are on the memorial of a particular saint or a feast day, a solemnity, the Office of Readings is specific to that day. And you get an opportunity to learn so much about the communion of saints, because what will happen is the office of readings, one of the readings, typically the second one, rather than being taken from uh, scripture, will be taken from 
works about that saint or something that that saint wrote. Uh, so again, on August 8th, St. Dominic, uh, the second reading is a beautiful reflection on his life, uh, talks about his uh, desire or his kind of the way he lived his life, always either speaking to God or about God. And you get to learn so much. So um, coming up on uh, the 28th is a feast of Simon and Jude, the apostles. And so the second reading is from a commentary on the Gospel of John by St. Cyril of Alexandria, who was a bishop. So you get to read these sorts of, you get the exposure to uh, reflections that you just wouldn't really get that often, and it really gives you an appreciation uh, for the liturgical cycle in a, in a very rich and deep way. And I want to mention, too, uh, Kevin has the liturgy, the liturgy of the Hours in a wonderful leather-bound four-volume set, mm-hmm. but if that's a bit much right now for you, you can go to universalis.com and they have the daily liturgy of the hours for all hours, all days of the year on that site. So universalis.com, I'll try to remember to link it in the show notes as well. And that's a great resource for finding all of that. And when you're on the road and you don't want to bring your, yeah, exactly. your that's whole too. breviary with you. Good point. Okay. What else do we have here, Kevin? Let's see. Oh, the uh, Angelus. I wanted to talk about this a little bit. So the Angelus is a traditional prayer that is, um, that is, uh, a, prayer of intercession to the blessed virgin mary um and it is it is very beautiful i uh want to read to you so basically there is a there is a three-part um prayer and response that is about the annunciation and it's beautiful the angel of the lord declared unto mary and she conceived with the holy spirit and then behold the hammock of the lord be it done unto me according to thy word and then and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and so those three calls and responses are sandwich um Hail Marys. So there are three Hail Marys, um, one after each of those calls and response. And then we have a pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. And then at the very end, this beautiful prayer that I'm going to read right now, pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. So I really like this prayer for a number of reasons. One of though is one of them though is that it is a a perfect example of the way that we hold Mary up as an example of faith and trust in God, and then ask God to help us emulate that same faith and trust and bring us to the glory of His resurrection. So it's a complete uh, emptying of self and a statement of faith and trust in God and a reliance on the mercy of God. And this traditionally was prayed three times a day: six a.m. hour, noon, and the six p.m. hour. Um, our family here does it every day at noon, so we don't do it three times a day, but the traditional is, is three times a day. And I think it's a beautiful reminder of how pervasive our Christian faith should be, just like the liturgy of the hours. Here's mm-hmm. something that we can do. It's very short, but at three different points in the day, or at least one point in the day, we can stop whatever we're doing, wherever we are, and say the Angelus. There's this beautiful painting that I'll also try to remember to link, link to in the show notes. It's by the French painter, uh, I'll probably butcher the name, but Jean-Francois Millet. And it is a picture of a couple who was out working in a field and they put the wheelbarrow down and pray the Angelus. Kevin, I'm going to turn this around so I can show this to you. Excellent. But it is a, uh, it's a very cool picture. So just, oh, a, wow. just a reminder of how integrated mm-hmm. into our lives prayer should be. This is not something that we just do on Sundays no. or just a night prayer, but this is a, a full day thing to mm-hmm. live life as a Catholic Christian. Absolutely. So uh, that's a great one. One also that I think is, uh, a great reminder that I'm kind of started very recently was 
doing a form of penance on Fridays. Oh yeah. So this is one I think, unfortunately in North America, the United States in particular has kind of fallen out of common practice and it's the, the, the most common form of it is abstaining from meat on Fridays. Uh, so the idea is that since our Lord was crucified on Friday, Friday is a day of remembrance of his sacrifice, a day of penance for our sins. And I don't remember the exact history, but at some point the United States Council of Catholic Bishops granted a dispensation and essentially said American Catholics do not have to abstain from meat on Fridays. And when they did that, it seems like everyone took that as, okay, there's no longer a need to perform any form right. of penance on Fridays. That's how I kind of understood it until I think I heard from you and Sally actually that you still abstain from me on Fridays. And then I actually went and looked into the canon law and what the proclamation actually was. And it, Essentially, I'll paraphrase. Says well, I, that, I've actually got pulled up here. If you okay, great. It. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so Canon 1250 of Canon Law basically outlines the times and days that the whole church globally is is supposed to um, do penance, um, and that is Fridays of the entire year and the season of Lent. And then Canon 1251 gives further details on how we're supposed to exactly do penance on those. Um, and it says here, unless a solemnity, I'm actually reading from canonlawmadeeasy.com, which is a, a really good canon lawyer named Kathy Caridi, but she has a lot of good blog posts on this, this type of stuff. So she says, unless a solemnity falls on a Friday, abstinence from meat or some other food as determined by the bishop's conference is to be observed on all Fridays. So the key word there is as determined by the bishop's conference. Mm -hmm. And as Kevin, you just outlined in 1966, okay, 66. after, so this is the post-conciliar era, after the uh, the Second Vatican Council, Second Vatican Council calls for a renewal of devotion, right? And so the Bishop's Council in America says, okay, given this call for renewal and uh, a lot of changing circumstances, we recognize that this is not always the best practice, and so there mm -hmm. are other ways to, um, to practice penance on Fridays. And so what they said is... Um, Okay, this is a quote directly from the Bishops' Conference now. For these and related reasons, the Catholic bishops of the United States, far from downgrading the traditional penitential observance of Friday, and motivated precisely by the desire to give the spirit of penance greater vitality, especially on Fridays, the day that Jesus died, we urge our Catholic people henceforth to be guided by the following norms. One, Friday itself remains a special day of penitential observance throughout the year. For this reason, we urge all to prepare for that weekly Easter that comes with each Sunday by freely making of every Friday a day of self-denial and mortification in prayerful remembrance of the passion of Jesus Christ. So they're saying, we're not we're not discarding this. We're, we're saying that you don't have to, it doesn't have to be meat, but you have to do something. And we want to highlight mm -hmm. again that Friday is a day of, of penitence. And then they say, among the works of voluntary self-denial and personal penance, which we especially commend to our people for the future observance of Friday, even though we hereby terminate the traditional law of abstinence binding under pain of sin, as the sole prescribed means of observing Friday, we give first place to abstinence from flesh meat. We do so in the hope that the Catholic community will will ordinarily continue to abstain from meat by free choice, as formerly we did in obedience to church law. Mm. So they're saying we're we're not saying that it's a sin if you eat meat on Fridays now, but what we are saying is that it's still probably the best way to do it. It's the it's the one that we would give first preference to. We hope that everyone continues to abstain from meat if possible. If your circumstances don't allow that or don't make that a good sacrifice for you, then please, you know, by all means do something else. What do you think would be some, some good alternate forms of penance? Well, I think first of all is, you know, does the alternate form apply to you? Because the bishops mm -hmm. are saying 
the, the, the traditional one, the one that we prefer is no meat. And so, right. if so if you're already a vegetarian, yeah, exactly. Right. I think that, that's the best example. Sacrifice. Like if you're, if you're a vegan or vegetarian, you already don't eat meat, then that's not really a, a penance thing for you. Mm-hmm. Then uh, maybe find something else. So something might be, you know, giving up desserts on Friday, fasting from streaming media, um, Saying a rosary. Saying, you don't yeah. do a daily rosary. Yeah, adding something rather than taking something away, doing doing some sort of spiritual practice. Maybe on Fridays, try doing the liturgy of the hours, like mm. all five of them. I think that would be a good practice. Maybe I'll start doing that, actually. Yeah. That would be pretty good. Mm. Um, so things like that. Yeah, but I think the takeaway here is Fridays are penitential days for penance. And the best way to do that is abstinence because you're doing it with the whole church. Um, if that's not the best fit for you, you know, find something else. But you're still, still supposed to do penance on Fridays. Right. So I think we probably have time for one or two more. Uh, I know we, I'm going to save the best for last, but maybe a, a good one for our penultimate one is actually one of uh, my mother's favorites, which is the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Oh, yeah. So the Divine Mercy Chaplet, if you're not familiar with it, is a devotion to the Divine Mercy, uh, which might bring up the name St. Faustina Kowalska. Um, also known as the Apostle of, of Mercy. She was a Polish religious sister of the Congregation of Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy, canonized as a saint by uh, Pope St. John Paul II that's right. in 2000. And was it only 2000? Wow, that's it crazy. only 2000, isn't that? It's amazing. It's amazing how much a part of contemporary Catholic culture St. Uh, Faustina has become yeah, wow. that's in such crazy. a short period of time. And I think it's also a testament to just how... St. Pope John Paul II's devotion, special devotion to St. Faustina and how his personal devotion became the devotion of the church because of his own influence and his own people's devotion to him. Right. Uh, It's really incredible. But this is uh, a a chaplet that is said on uh, the rosary uh, beads, but the prayers are a little bit different. So maybe Zach, you can talk a little bit about uh, how the the prayer actually goes. Yeah, sure. So uh, like you said, Kevin, it is um, very similar to the structure of the rosary. But one reason why I think this is a great one is because it's actually a lot shorter. And I'm not saying that the rosary is too long, but this is just something you can fit in if you have five or 10 minutes free in your day. So you begin with the sign of the cross and then there's an opening prayer that's actually optional, but it is all about the divine mercy. And then the Our Father, Hail Mary, the Apostles' Creed, and then the Eternal Father, which is Eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. So that's what you would say on the normal Our Father prayer beads mm-hmm. of the rosary. And then on each of the 10 small beads of the decade, you say, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. And so you can see how this would go much more quickly and you'd be able to do this in, in five or 10 minutes. But this is another very good practice. Sally does this every day at three o'clock, which is the hour of mercy, the hour that Jesus died mm-hmm. on the cross for our sins. So every day at three o'clock, she tries to pray the the Divine Mercy Chaplet. And this is a great devotion. Yeah. And a personal connection that I have is actually, uh, so the way this came about is that St. Faustina uh, in her diary wrote that she had a vision uh, where this chaplet was actually given to her um, if I remember correctly, by Christ himself in yes. a vision. Yep. And that actually took place on September 13th. Uh, what's that? 64 years before I was born to the day. Wow. Uh, 54. Your birthday. My birthday. So. You know what happened on April 16th, my birthday? Several years before I was born. Several years. The birth of a young man, last name Ratzinger, ah. first name Joseph. <laughs> the future. 
the well, future successor of St. Peter. Actually, let's use that to, to segue to our last devotional topic. You said the most important, Kevin. We didn't coordinate on what the most important is, but I'm pretty sure I know which one this mm-hmm. is. And I think that um, Joseph Ratzinger, who eventually became Pope Benedict XVI, is a fantastic person to uh, talk about this through the lens of because he had a very powerful devotion to the Eucharist mm-hmm. and uh, has written many, many things on it. Uh, I've read lots of his work on the Eucharist and I love everything he's written about it. But the Eucharist, what the Second Vatican Council called the source and summit of the Christian life, is the ultimate representation of Christ's love for us. And Eucharistic adoration is, I think, what we would agree is Absolutely. Our, our most important devotional practice on this list. Now, I totally understand that you are probably not in a church that has 24-hour perpetual adoration. I am very blessed to be in a church that does. You are very blessed. It's wonderful. <laughs> but, you know, most churches do have a monthly, at least, a mm-hmm. uh, few hours of adoration. Uh, our old church in the Diocese of Belleville um, had a uh, monthly 24-hour adoration. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a really important practice. And, you know, if if you don't have a church that has any Eucharistic adoration, maybe go to your pastor and ask ask him if, if you can start doing that. Um as I understand it, the perpetual adoration at our church was in place bef- long before we got here. But as I understand it, it was all parishioner led and the parishioners went to the priest and said, we want to do perpetual adoration. And he said, okay, get me a roster of all the guardians that we'll need to have on tap to do 24 hour adoration and, uh, and we'll make it happen. So that's exactly what, what did happen. So the lay faithful can make a big difference in doing these types of things. And I encourage you to talk to your pastor about doing Eucharistic, Eucharistic adoration. I think I mentioned this on the podcast before. But someone once asked Mother Teresa how she could do all the things that she did. And she said that it was only because of the Eucharist and the time mm. that she spent in adoration in front of the Eucharist, simply communing with God, simply being there, being still and knowing that he is God, simply gazing upon this Christ who gave himself out of love for each one of us and continues to pour himself out in an ocean of divine mercy every single day. Right. I mean, it's if you want to be perfect, you have to behold perfection, right? So what a great opportunity to to see perfection in the world, Eucharistic adoration. But Zach, what are some of your favorite things to do when you go to Eucharistic adoration? Yeah, th- I, I want other people to not be um, intimidated by this because you don't have to go there for an hour and just sit there in silent contemplative prayer. And mystic, and, mystical uh, <laughs> contemplative prayer. And, <laughs> and levitate. Begin levitation. Yeah, that is, not, did. that is not what adoration <laughs> is all about. I mean, I think of it as... um, It'd be great if it was. Yeah, right? That'd be (laughs) awesome. Um, I think of adoration almost as... uh, Almost as going to the the bedside of someone in a hospital that you really love. Mm. Um, You know, this person uh, is suffering, right? And, you know, Jesus, Jesus Christ has been resurrected, so it's... The analogy doesn't go all the way. But Jesus suffered for us, and when whenever we're with Him, we can console His His immaculate heart um, and the suffering that He endured for us. And so, just as you go to the bedside of someone in the hospital, you might spend some time talking to that person, and you might spend some time talking to Jesus. You might also spend some time just sitting there and being with that person and mm-hmm. uh, being in the presence of that person, um, even if nothing is said. And you can do that in adoration. You also might bring a book. To, yeah, it's actually one of my favorite things. Yeah, to you do. might bring a book to the bedside of that person, and I bring books to adoration all the time. I mean, my normal habit in adoration is open with prayer and a rosary, and then read spiritual reading. Mm-hmm. And so I'll I'll find various books to read. You know, whatever happens to be the spiritual reading um, of the day, I will bring with me, and I will just open that up in front of the Blessed Sacrament, and just be with Jesus while I read about Him. 
Yeah, one of my favorites is to bring, one of the repeat things I do is, is I bring St. Augustine's Confessions with me because there's so much in that in a way of scripture interwoven with meditation, interwoven right. with personal experience. And, uh, you know, before I before I open it up, I typically have a short prayer to ask that Christ help reveal the truth that is within that work to me. And it's incredible at times to read a passage and see how it, it really almost changes its meaning or is more fully revealed right. in the light that is kind of spilling from from the Eucharist at that moment and phrases like our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. It's beautiful. Or lately have I loved you. Uh, oh beauty. So ancient verses like that take on a whole new meaning when you read it and then you look up and see the monstrance and see uh, the true presence in the Eucharist at that moment. It's, it, it takes spiritual reading to a completely different level, I think. Yeah, totally agree. So yeah, Eucharistic adoration. So to recap, let's talk about what we did. So we talked about the monthly devotions of the church we talked about bowing at the name of Jesus. We talked about the liturgy of the hours, seeing the Angelus at noon or at 6 a.m. noon and 6 p.m. The abstaining from meat on Fridays. Oh, the Most Holy Rosary, of course. Can't forget that one. Of course. Also the Divine Mercy Chaplet and Eucharistic Adoration. It's a great list. <laughs> so, yeah. So hopefully you got something from this that you can take away and take into your own life as a devotional practice. We'd love to hear what you think of this podcast or this episode creedal catholic at vernacularpodcast.com or uh, brand new you can go you can just email zach z-a-c at creedalcatholic.com or kevin at creedalcatholic.com send us your favorite devotions we'd love to hear about them and we'll share them on the show so yeah send us a note zach at creedalcatholic or kevin at creedalcatholic.com okay i think that's it we will be back soon with a great interview we're very excited about might be might be someone from the order of the Dominicans. A little foreshadow order of preachers. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we're excited about that. We uh, will have a very cool guest on next podcast to talk about the real presence. Real little presence, teaser there. Um, and so we look forward to sharing that with you in a week's time. And until then, God bless you. Peace. Peace.